Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the Art Museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvotdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week, or contact us on our website, tikvotisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Well, it's the last Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah. Did you figure that out from the announcements or anything? All of the Sabbaths, starting with the fast day of Tisha B'Av, until Rosh Hashanah, are Sabbaths of consolation. So you have the mourning that takes place on Tisha B'Av, on the ninth day of the month of Av. And that mourning commemorates or remembers many horrible things that have happened to our people over the years, the destruction of the temple, both the first and the second temple, other sad things that have taken place. But you've heard all of that. So after that day of mourning, we have weeks of consolation, seven weeks of consolation. And uh, seven special Haftarah readings from the book of Isaiah. So we heard one today, a message of comfort, a message of consolation for our people. And so we've been preparing. We're anticipating the soon approach of our fall feasts, which brings us to a kind of a climax of sorts, since this is the last Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we see Moshe doing something that is also a culmination, a culmination of his time with the people as they've been wandering through the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he's basically rehearsing all of that time and helping everybody to see what this is all about, what is getting ready to happen, what is about to take place as they prepare to go into the promised land. He covers all their wanderings. He doesn't leave out the good, the bad, and the ugly. He tells it all like it is. One evidence that it's inspired because what people would create a book talking about their wanderings in the wilderness that would include all the sins that they committed while they were wandering in the wilderness if they were just doing it to proclaim themselves to be some special people. But uh, it's not like that. It's all out there. It's all laid out. In today's portion, Moshe restates the covenant that was actually begun in Exodus. In chapter 19, he talks about a kingdom of Kohanim. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. He summoned the leaders and they said to him, everything that Adonai has said for us to do, that's what we will do. And then he relayed that back to to Hashem. So in our Parsha today, Deuteronomy 29 and 30, Moshe is rehearsing again to bring to mind whom the covenant is for 
and what the covenant entails. And we read about that today. The title of my message comes from Deuteronomy 30. There's a phrase in there that is a very interesting phrase and a lot could be said, but I only have three hours, so I'm not gonna say everything about this phrase. But the phrase is, lo vashamayim he, it is not in heaven. It is not in heaven. So this covenant with the men of Israel, their children, their wives, the foreigners in the camp, everyone from the wood choppers to the water drawers. Moses says, also, it is not only with you, but with him who is not here. So in other words, he's making a covenant just not with those who are there on the precipice of getting ready to go into the promised land, but those who are to come. And he says that it is a blessing for you to not follow other gods, for you to follow only the one true God. It's for everyone who obeys. The curses are for those who don't. Why would a loving father want to curse his children? And a lot of people look at that and say, I don't believe it. I don't think he would ever curse us. He's chosen us above all the peoples of the earth. Why would he ever curse us? We can follow whatever God we want to follow. It's fine. It's not really going to cause any problems. So after the curses have come to pass, he says, another generation would grow up. Foreigners who see the condition of the land will ask, why is this land so desolate? And the people will say that it is because our fathers abandoned the covenant of Hashem, which he made when he brought them out of Egypt. At last, when that next generation starts thinking about what happened to them, Moshe says that they will return to Hashem and pay attention to what he is commanding to them today when you return with all your heart and with all your being. He says, Adonai will bring you back from your exile. He will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your children so that you will love Adonai with all your heart and all your being. And thus will you live. He will put the curses on your enemies and he will return blessings to you. This mitzvah which I am giving you today is not too hard. How many people have ever heard there's no way that you can keep those 613 commandments. You've heard this, right? You just, there's no way. 613 commandments, that's just too much to think about, right? Of course, I say to them, how many of you have ever filed your tax return? How many regulations do you think there are in the tax code of the United States of America and in every state? How many, how many regulations are there? And yet, do you violate those? Probably not willingly, most of you. So he's saying it's not too hard. It's not so difficult. It's not too hard for you. It's not beyond your, your reach. It isn't in the sky. This phrase, it isn't in the sky, is the translation in the complete Jewish Bible for lo vashamayimhi, it is not in heaven. It is not in the sky so that you need to ask someone to go and get it and bring it back to you so that you can do it. It's not across the sea so that you need to ask someone to go and get it and bring it back to you so that you can do it. What is this commandment? 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being. On the contrary, the word is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Therefore, you can do it. Okay, so this uh, sounds very nice. Keep the commandments, be blessed. Disobey, be cursed. Return and you'll be blessed. Your enemies will be cursed. But what does it mean to circumcise your hearts? What is that exactly? Several chapters earlier in Deuteronomy 10, we read, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stiff-necked any longer. So maybe there's a context here to help us understand what it means to circumcise your heart. Certainly, it doesn't feel like something you would do with a scalpel. Let's take a look at chapter uh, 10. Israel, all that Adonai your God asks from you is to fear Adonai your God, follow all his ways, love him and serve Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being, to obey for your own good the mitzvot and regulations. The word follow is from the word halach, to walk or, or to follow. It's the same root word that you've maybe heard, the word halacha, which is Jewish law, how to walk out the Torah. Yeshua said, go in through the narrow gate, for the gate that leads to destruction is wide and the road is broad and many travel it, but it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life and only a few find it. So this command to walk in his paths or walk in his ways, follow after him, is, as Yeshua said, not that easy. Very few find it. See, the sky and the heaven beyond the sky, in verse 14, the earth and everything on it all belong to Adonai your God. Only Adonai took enough pleasure in your ancestors to love them and choose their descendants after them, above all peoples, as he still does today. The reason the sky and the heavens beyond the sky and the earth and everything on it belong to Hashem is that he created them. The creator of all things took pleasure in your ancestors, loved them, and chose their descendants after them. That is you the descendants after them, above all people, as he still does today, as it says there in Deuteronomy 10. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stiff-necked any longer. What does it mean to be stiff-necked? The Hebrew phrase is kashe oef, stubborn or rebellious back of your neck or back. It evidently has to do with being strong-willed and selfish. But how do you stop being strong-willed and selfish? I had a conversation earlier this week about the fact that none of us really can come to God and obey this commandment because what is your motive for doing so? Even your motives are selfish. Well, we want to be blessed or we want to see, you know, righteousness, or we want to be with God, and all of those motives 
are things that benefit you. So it's impossible in one sense. And yet, Moses says, it's not too hard. It's within your reach. So despite his majesty and his supreme authority, he doesn't show favorites, but he secures justice, even for the little guy, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, giving food and clothing. Therefore, you are to love the foreigner. Since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt, you are to fear Adonai your God, serve him, cling to him, and swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things. Your praise, your God. These are evidences of something, but the Israelites were commanded to circumcise the foreskin of their hearts. How did they think of what that meant? I mean, they, they were certainly familiar with the circumcision of the flesh. This is something they'd been doing through all their generations. The eight-day-old male, the foreskin of the heart is not as easy to get to as the foreskin of the flesh. We tend to protect our hearts, even against our creator who has proven his love so many times and in so many ways. When a child is circumcised, for any of you who have ever been present at a brit milah, he usually cries his lungs out. If you can imagine crying as loud as you can with your face scrunched up, your mouth wide open, that's what it looks like. And I think in the same way when our maker, who loves us even more than a parent loves a child, finally positions us in life in such a way that we finally surrender our own will, our own comfort, our own selfish insistence, and allow him to cut away that layer that surrounds our heart, that layer that keeps us from experiencing directly his authority, his love, his provision, and his presence. Nothing there left to shield us or divert us from doing and hearing his commandments when he finally positions us in that way then we become a disciple. Until then, there's always a barrier. So in our Torah portion, we read, it is not in heaven. What's not in heaven? The mitzvah. To love Hashem with all our heart and all our being. Why does he say, it is not in heaven? And he explains why. He says, so that you would have to ask somebody to go into the sky and bring it. Why would we do that? Why would we think that we would need to send somebody to heaven or across the sea to get this commandment and bring it to us? Why would anybody need someone to force us to love Hashem? Could it be that our backs are stiff, that our necks are stiff? Stiff-necked. It's not too difficult, he says. It's not beyond your reach. It's one thing to experience the love from the Father, it's another to experience love toward the Father. Who circumcises a child? In the ceremony of Brit Milah, it's 
technically supposed to be the father. He delegates it to the moil, but it's technically the father who circumcises his son. The father has to have a different mindset. A lot of times the mother doesn't even want to be in the room. It's hard for her to hear that cry. The father knows that if the circumcision doesn't take place, the child is not fully part of the wider Jewish community. The mother knows this for sure, and she generally approves, but it's still heartbreaking for her to hear that cry. It's the last thing she wants to hear. But the father's love is to teach the children how to love in a pure way. Many people have difficulty knowing how to love our Heavenly Father. Often, it's due to wounds that we've received from our earthly fathers. It's also the case that we tend to blame our Heavenly Father for problems and evils that we experience in our lives. And yet, there is this commandment to love and obey. Earthly fathers who stand in the place of our Heavenly Father are seeking that we would live our lives in right relationship with Hashem, with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, our community, and the world. Right relationship occurs when we know without hesitation that we have shalom, peace, toward others and toward ourselves. How is this possible? How can Moshe demand that people love Hashem with all their being? How is it that Yeshua can declare that this is the greatest commandment? What prevents or inhibits me or you from releasing all the love that is in us toward our Heavenly Father? Part of the reason is we don't really know who our Heavenly Father is. In Deuteronomy 10, Adonai, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who has no favorites and accepts no bribes. He secures justice for the downtrodden. He is your praise. Some of you had wonderful fathers. You remember them with fondness. You recognize their limitations, their humanity, but you still love them. You know that they loved you even when you might have disagreed with them. Your father's role is to teach you how to love with a pure heart. I heard a, a preacher one time by the name of Bob Mumford, and he was teaching why we need fathers, because Fathers teach us how to love with a pure heart. Too often our love is given in order to receive something in return. A good father sees this and is able to teach how to remove the hooks and to love without expecting anything in return. We love with a hook. We love because we want to be loved, or we love because we want something, or we love because we want to be blessed. But a true father knows that that's not love, that's trading. Do you genuinely trust your heavenly Father to govern your life, even if it leads to discomfort, sacrifice, or even death? Moshe assures us, lo v'shamayim he, it is not in heaven, it is not too difficult. You don't need someone to ascend to heaven. You can do this, he says, but too often, we don't really understand who he is. I want to conclude 
the message today with a section of scripture that talks about the Father from John, John 14. In John 14, this is about as close to having someone ascend to heaven to bring us the mitzvah to love our Father. Whoever ascended to heaven, right? In Daniel 6, we find that there was one who ascended to heaven to the Ancient of Days, and he took authority and became the everlasting ruler. So we know who this is. We know this is Yeshua, that he ascends to the Father. He ascends to the Ancient of Days. But here in John 14, this hasn't happened yet. Don't let yourselves be disturbed. Trust in God and trust in me. In my Father's house, there are many places to live. If there weren't, I would have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. Since I am going and preparing a place for you, I will return to take you with me, so that where I am, you may be also. Furthermore, you know where I am going, and you know the way there. Does this sound like Moshe? You know how to do this. You can do this. But Thomas... What are you talking about? He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Yeshua said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because you have known me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him. In fact, you have seen him. Philip says, with a look of bewilderment, I'll bet, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Dayenu. Yeshua replied to him, Have I been with you so long without your knowing me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am united with the Father, and the Father united with me? What I am telling you, I am not saying on my own initiative, the Father living in me is doing his own works. Trust me that I am united with the Father and the Father united with me. But if you can't, then trust because of the works themselves. Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever trusts in me will also do the works I do. Indeed, he will do greater ones because I am going to the Father. When he says, I am going to the Father, does that not remind you of Daniel 6? I am ascending to the Ancient of Days. The message of Lo Vashemayim He is, be reconciled to your Father so that your heart is immediately responsive to Him, to His Spirit, to his instructions, to his commandments. Practice loving him with all your being. In this way, every other relationship is shalom. Every relationship will be in pure love, without a hook, love without a hook. Rosh Hashanah and all the high holy days approach. The time is right for us to get our hearts right with our Father. It's not too difficult. Yeshua showed us how to do this, and he is showing us this even now. And I say, amen. Thank you.